Uh, my name's Dan. We're, uh, as Paul mentioned before, we're kicking off this new series in Ecclesiastes. You should have got this booklet when you came in. Hopefully, it's really helpful. You can take sermon notes in there. The thing I want to point your, your, your attention to is there's an introduction in there, a letter from Paul and an introduction. If you've got the chance this week to read through the intro, it'll really orient you to where we're going with this series. I really encourage you to do that. But here's the question, why are we doing Ecclesiastes? Um, if you know anything about this book, it's kind of depressing. Um, twice it has this statement at the very beginning and the very end, which goes like this, absolute futility, absolute futility, everything is futile, happy times, you know? Wow, that's pretty depressing, that's negative stuff. Why are we studying Ecclesiastes? Uh, this week uh, I read on the ABC, there's an article by uh, the professor Sven Brinkman, this Danish guy, who is one of the leaders of the, um, the anti-self-help movement. Have you heard of that movement? I hadn't. They sound like a fun bunch, don't they? And anyway, so he, he reckons that um, this whole self-help positivity culture has com- completely failed. It's not helping us at all. And he points to the levels of depression to kind of to prove his point. Uh, but instead, he's got s- uh, seven uh, theses for living well. He still wants us to live well. He's, he's got seven theses, and the second one is this. He writes, focus on the negatives in your life, Right? That's his second thing. Focus on the negative truths in your life. It's actually not going to make your life worse, is what he says. Friends, that's what Ecclesiastes is on about. It might be a bit depressing at times, but what it wants to do is help you live well, to be wise. That's what the wisdom literature is all about. Um, see, Ecclesiastes, it's a, it's a little bit like, imagine the building inspector comes to the place you live, your apartment block, your house, whatever it is, and, and they say to you, the piers or the pillars that your building is built on are cracked. They're not load-bearing. It's, it's dangerous. Um, is this information you want to know about? Yes. It's not happy information, but we want to know about it. Um, that's Ecclesiastes. Um, he's the, the teacher. He's the building inspector, and he's come to your life, and he's saying, the pillars you're building your life on, they're cracked. They're not load-bearing. In fact, he's going to go right on in there and just start pushing them over until you've got nothing left to stand on except bare ground, um, the bare, solid ground of reality. Maybe boring, unpolished, ordinary reality, but reality nonetheless. That's what he wants us to stand on. Uh, it could be a little painful to hear these things, to have our pillars pushed over. Right at the end of the book, he says, the sayings of the wise are like goads. I don't know if you want to know what a goad is. It's like a pointy stick that someone uses to make a cow go the right direction. That's what this word is like. Ow, ow. It's going to hurt a little bit. But if we have the courage and the faith to accept this word, to believe it, I think it will set us free. I have found it liberating. I found it has brought me to rest and has helped me worship. We've called this series Refreshingly Real, and that has exactly been my experience as I've prepared it. Uh, And my prayer is it is that for you as well. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to have the first 11 verses of the book uh, read to us, spoken to us uh, in some way. And uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 1, you can do that, but I'm going to pray before that happens. Father, we uh, really want to thank you for your word. Uh, We admit that we don't always know exactly how to live in your world. we're often quite confused about it. So thank you for giving us your wisdom. Lord, we do pray that you'd give us the courage and faith to hear your word, 
to believe it and respond as we ought to. We pray you would make us wise for your glory's sake. Amen. Brittany is going to come and read this next passage to us. You can just watch and listen if you want. Enough said, but we're going to say a bit more. What was that line? It's never an end of speaking. That's right. Well, that's exactly right. Those first few words that Brittany read out, absolute futility, absolute futility, uh, everything is futile. That's, that's like the motto for, for the teacher. The teacher is the guy's words that are recorded for most of the book, a few other words on the end from the editor. That, that's his big motto. It's what he says at the beginning and the end. He uses the word futile. 38 times to talk about this world. That's his summary. Uh, so it would be helpful if we just uh, drill down into that a little bit. What does he mean when he says futile? What does he mean? Um, well, the word futile is actually from the Hebrew word hevel, which concretely means smoke. So everything is smoke. Um, at the fire last night, there was a lot of that, a lot of smoke going on. Um, and so we've got to ask the question, what, what does he mean abstractly about this world why is he using this term smoke? Because the world is not actually concretely smoke. What does he mean? Um, so other translations you've heard of would say it's meaningless uh, or, or it's vanity. Here we've got futile. But, but, but last night as this fire was going, we had a lot of smoke there. And I thought there's lots of other meanings, that, that's abstract meanings that, that smoke conjures up, isn't there? The smoke got in our eyes and you could not grab the smoke and move it to the side. Well, smoke, you can't grasp it, can you? That's life. You can't quite grasp it. We had a lot of smoke, but we could not grab it all together and make a pile and build something of it because you cannot control it. It's just kind of temporary. And, and this is the kind of the idea that the writer is trying to get across. You can't make anything out of life, nothing lasting, nothing permanent, nothing satisfying and meaningful. You can't make it out of life. It's quite depressing, isn't it? This is his no compromise, like this is his big statement. It's all futile. 
In verse 3, he, he explains perhaps a little bit of why it is so futile. Would you look at verse 3 with me? What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? He works, she works, we labor and labor, we try and try, but what do we actually finally gain? That's actually something solid and lasting and meaningful and significant that goes on. What do we, anything? He's actually going to go through all sorts of things in the book from one topic to the next. We'll see a whole bunch of them next week and just, just three of them today. All these areas that we labor at, but they just don't actually ever add up to anything. We don't finally gain. And this is his point. This is his point. So today we'll just look at three of these things as kind of an introduction because he wants us to believe him. He wants us to believe his great motto, and we don't. <laughs> That's the problem. We don't actually. So here we go. We, we think maybe if I have all sorts of experiences in life, That'll make something of my life. You know, I'll see great things and I'll have amazing experiences. But look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, All things, that could be the word words, all things or words are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. We talk and talk. We listen and listen. We see and see and we're never satisfied. You know, we, tag, we chatter, 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 chinwag. A lot of people, some of you here are very good at that, you know. And it's never finished. It's never fu- we don't sort of get some solid thing out of it. We hear things. We hear the, the opera. We hear the, the, the amazing concerto. But, but the ear is never finally filled. I really like old music. If you saw my music collection, you'd think I'm in my 50s or something like that. And I often think, you know, there's enough good music. Why do we need more music? But there's never an end, is there? There's always more. Always more, because we're never satisfied. You can see the new movie, you can see some new art, you can see another country, but you'll never be finally satisfied. It's like we're chasing the wind by trying to get meaning out of just experiences. We'll never finally be able to gain or grasp it. Okay, so maybe experiences aren't going to lead finally to gain. How about um, progress? Something new. Making something new. Trying something new. Well, have a look at verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Can anyone say about anything, oh, look, this is new? It's already existed in the ages before us. I was chatting with a mate of mine named Mike just this last week, and he had this young, enthusiastic friend who came up to him recently. Um, He works at the Apple store in Chatswood, and he comes up to Mike and he goes, Mike, I've discovered this awesome new thing, and I use it at work all the time, and I, I can just, I can record all of, all of my little interactions and all of my to-do lists and all the customer inquiries. It's called a notepad and pen, and, and he says, and now they're all doing it. All my friends at work, they're all doing it. So if you drop into the shop, just, you'll, you'll see it. I've got this app called uh, Say It, Mail It. You might have seen me using it. It's really dorky, but it's a notepad and pen, you know, effectively. It's just these new things are just the slightly more technologically advanced version of some old things. I think it's the same with clothes, isn't it? At least I think it is. You know, don't change your clothes, just wait and they'll come back to you. The fashion, they'll come back. Um, The new job, some people disagree, that's okay. The new job, you know, you think, ah, this is fantastic, something new. And a couple of months in, you think, not really. Um, I'm pushing different paper, but it's the same sort of thing. 
See, creating the new thing, chasing after the fashionable, the latest, is ultimately, it's chasing after wind. Because that's our world. Smoke. Vapor. Okay, so what about forgetting the new? What about leaving a legacy? What about being respected and being remembered? That one gets cut down as well, doesn't it? Verse 11. There is no remembrance of those who came before, and of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. Here's an embarrassing confession. I can barely remember my... Actually, I don't know the names of all my grandparents. My grandparents. What makes us think that we're actually going to be remembered? See, friends, we are so busy in our world trying to gain, trying to make something out of life, trying to gain something and make something significant and lasting and of of real uh, satisfaction and meaning. And the writer wants to tell us, the teacher just says, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can't do it. You're chasing wind because that's what our world is. It's vapor, it's smoke, it's futile. He says, that's not how the world works. The first couple of verses, he says, that's not how the world works because our world is a treadmill world. I don't really like treadmills. You know, you get on a treadmill and you run and run and you're sweating and panting and when you stop, you're just where you left. You started, you're in the same place. I know it's kind of the point, but yeah. And our world is a treadmill world, friends. It's not a racetrack, A to B. See, the sun's on a treadmill, isn't he? Do you see that in verse 5? The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. <laughs> it returns to the place where it rises. That's what the world does. The sun, sorry, round and round and round. And it's the same with the wind, isn't it? Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles, just round and round. I remember about 15, 20 years ago, camping by the beach, and I was in my sleeping bag trying to get to sleep at night, and uh, I was just thinking to myself, Man, those waves, they're really noisy. I wonder when they're going to stop. When? They have never, ever, ever stopped, and they never will stop, you know? And here's the other thing. Where do the waves get to? Nowhere. In, out, in, out. That's it. That's all they do. And the streams are the same, aren't they? The streams, they just come down into the sea. The sea's never filled. It just keeps going and going and going. Look at verse 4 with me. This is how our world works. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. It just grumbles on in its inefficient, repetitive patterns, and you are like that. That's our world. See, God's world is not going anywhere. It's not gaining for itself, trying to make something out of itself. It's just doing its thing. The sun's just doing its thing. The wind's just doing its thing. It's not achieving. It's not efficient. Sorry, Germans. It's not efficient. That's not our world. This is how God made it. And that's our home, friends. This is our home. The question is, are we too good for our home? Are we too good for our home? Because, you see, we don't, we're not happy with the treadmill, are we? We want a racetrack. I want to make something out of my life. I'm not happy with just being a human. I want to make something out of life. I want to create something. I want to gain But I want to ask, isn't your experience actually much more treadmill? Yeah? You guys know Groundhog Day? You've had that, I'm sure. You know, I used to not know what the phrase um, day in, day out meant until I got a full-time job. 
and then became a father. I know what it means now, day in, day out. I was looking at the CEV version of the Bible um, during the week, and it, it translates verse 8 this way. Life is far more boring than words could ever say. That's in the Bible, apparently. Isn't that true? I think if someone ever said to me, Dan, what have you done with your life? And if I tallied things up, I would have to include, I spent a fair bunch of hours actually adding it all up, days, weeks, months, looking for my keys. I spent a good bunch of time actually walking into rooms and going, what was I doing again? Sleeping. Cleaning things that would get dirty again and have to be cleaned again. Brushing my teeth. That's life, friends, isn't it? Punctuated by exciting events, but that's kind of life. That's how it is. Now, at this point, um, some of you are looking for a life raft. You're sort of thinking, well, how, isn't there a loophole? Some of you are astute, are thinking, that's the Old Testament, Dan. We're in the New Testament. Jesus changes things. And if that's you... Good on you. That's exactly what we should be thinking. That's exactly what we think when we look at the Old Testament. Because these cycles, these cycles going on and on and on, are suddenly cracked and spread open by the resurrection of Jesus. Suddenly, our world has an endpoint. In fact, it's very interesting to look at cultures around the world that don't believe, are not monotheistic and don't have one God and don't have a resurrection. They do just think in cycles, but we don't. We've actually got an endpoint. And yet, it's not that simple. Would you look with me at, at Romans 8? Um, it's on page 1041. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Just to show it's not that simple. Romans 8 and verse 20. So from verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. It's exactly the word from Ecclesiastes. That's our world. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from that bondage, from the bondage of corruption, and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. So that's creation, right? It's, it's, kind of, it's in this bondage to futility and decay that we've been talking about from Ecclesiastes, but it's got a hope that it's heading somewhere. Resurrection gives it an end point. It's heading towards hope when it's going to be set free from this whole futile nature of things. That's where it is, okay? Reading on. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Like right up to this point, it's groaning for that future of being set free. 23. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So you kind of get that. It's a little complicated. The idea is creation is here. It's still up to this day futile but it's got this great hope that's tied up in the resurrection of Jesus and, and in his return and in our resurrection. And we're a bit the same, actually. We've got the spirit of new creation who's actually come back from the future, in a sense. For us, we're kind of new creations to some extent, but that's also future. So we're also kind of in this place of futility. Um, I was talking to someone this morning. Actually, no, they were talking to someone else, talking to Andy this morning, um, who was saying that they thought that as a Christian, maybe life shouldn't be like that. Um, There's something wrong with their faith, that they actually do feel like life's kind of futile, and they thought there was something wrong with them. No, friends, if this is actually how you feel, it's not something wrong with your faith. 
this is how things are. We're still in this place of futility. So the last question I want to ask is this, so what? Uh, What do we do about it? How should we respond? And I want to say two things. One, accept it, and B, fear God. Uh, Ecclesiastes really wants us to accept this truth. And I believe if we do accept it, we will find refreshment and rest. Um, But but let me just be clear here, because I don't want you to hear me saying, uh, so we shouldn't try and do anything ever. That's not what this, this is on about. We should still work hard. We should still seek to change things and do good. Absolutely. We're just not going to be driven by the need to gain. Right? Does it make sense? I hope so. But, but if we can accept this truth, what it's going to do is totally change our expectations. So if we don't actually expect to be able to finally gain, we won't whip ourselves when we don't seem to be able to gain. Right? It'll help us not be so despairing and so depressed, and get angry quickly. Um, It'll change things for us. When life feels meaningless, you'll be like, oh yeah, it is. I came into church this morning, um, as I usually do, to set up a few things before 8 a.m. church, and none of the chairs were set up. And I kind of thought, sermon illustration, because this is actually how the world is. It's frustrating. That's just kind of how things are. Right expectations help you not quite get as carried away as you might. Um, It helps us with the expectation uh, of our children as well. Uh, If you've got kids, uh, my kids' school song ends with the line, we can touch the stars forever. So modern, hey? Um, And I think to myself, A, that's dangerous. Um, (laughs) I can't believe you laughed. That's such a bad joke. Anyway, (laughs) but B, like, come on, give the kids a break. Like, that's just, you're just saying, I'm going to measure you by how much you gain by you doing something amazing. Um, When Ecclesiastes says, they might do something amazing, but don't make them be driven by that. Don't don't put those expectations on them and and measure them by those sorts of standards. And friends, if we accept this reality, it's actually going to change the way we measure ourselves. I'm not going to get to the end of the day and say, hey, did I change the world today, you know? What did I gain? What did I make of life today? When it gets to our you know, quarterly review or whatever it is, and we look back at life, what have I made of life this last quarter? We've got to learn to put that to one side if we can embrace the truth of Ecclesiastes. Because he says, we can't finally gain. You can't grab hold of this smoky world this, and kind of make something of it that's going to be lasting and meaningful and go on and on. It's just chasing after the wind. Oh, God can. God can do it. And he has done it, and he will do it. He's going to make something that will go on and on and on and on forever and be entirely satisfying and delightful and meaningful and all the rest. But that's God's job. So we chill out. Rest in God. And fear him. Fear him, actually. That's, that's the last thing I want to say. Fear God. That's, that's, that's in Ecclesiastes 12. If you've still got your Bibles going, uh, flip to, to Ecclesiastes 12. You might know that the, uh, the editor finishes off Ecclesiastes by just giving a few quick thoughts. Um, he tries to sort of summarize what the rest of the book has been about. Some people think he changes what the rest of the book is about. I totally disagree. He summarizes it. Here's his application, verse 13, the last two verses of the book. When all has been heard, 
the conclusion of the matter is fear God, keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Friends, like I said, we're in a treadmill world. Um, the world out there is not trying to gain. It's not trying to draw things to itself. It's just, it's just doing its thing. The wind's just doing its thing. The, the sun, round and round. We can learn something from that. We should just do our thing. What's our thing? What's the human thing? It's right there in verse 13. It says, fear God and keep his commands because this is the human thing, or this is for all humanity. This is our thing, to fear God and keep his commands. That's what, that's what we do as humans, right? That's it. And the, the really beautiful flip side of this is that God doesn't expect anything else from us, right? That's all he's asking. God will judge each one of us, and he will not use the criteria how much did you gain? What did you make of your life? That's not going to be his criteria. Can I ask, why is it our criteria? How come we judge our days and weeks and months and that of other people by that kind of criteria? What have you made of your life? What have you achieved? What have you gained? We do that to ourselves and we do it to other people. Helmut Thielicke was a German pastor during um, World War II. He opposed the Nazis, uh, survived the Holocaust. About 30 years ago, he was interviewed and asked, how could such a cultured and civilized nation like Germany do such barbaric things? And he gave eight reasons, but then said, the ultimate reason is this theological, anthropological thing about what did the leaders think a human was? That's the big issue. And he said this, there are two extremely different views of humanity. On the one hand, we can value people because of their functional worth. Functional worth, right? What did you make of life? What did you gain? That's how we measure people. We can do that. And we all too often do that, brothers and sisters. This is what he says. When someone is no longer able to function because of age, disability, or injury, then their worthless life, like a machine which no longer functions, must be scrapped. In this case, the term used is liquidate. That's the Holocaust, right? That's where it ends up. Are, are we using that kind of judgment of life and humanity? He goes on to say, the opposite view is the one we find in the gospel. Here, the dignity of man rests not upon his functional ability, but rather upon the fact that God loves him. God loves you. That he was dearly purchased, that Christ died for him, and that therefore he stands under the protection of God's eternal goodness. And the mentally defective and those who are worthless in the eyes of men are also under his protection. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Ecclesiastes is ultimately getting at. Your whole goal, friends, is not gain. You can't do it, is what the teacher's saying. The world is not made that way. And praise God, he's not going to judge you on that. God loves you in Christ. 
He'll bring real gain for you, real change. So chill out. Rest in Him. Fear Him. Keep His commands. Because this is for all humanity. We're going to hear that over and over again in Ecclesiastes. I'm really looking forward to the next six weeks. This is such a mind shift that I'm glad we've got six weeks in it. Um, But I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'll invite Matt and Jerry to jump up, get ready to play for us. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you so much uh, for your wisdom. Uh, We want to thank you so much for the way that you see us, uh, not as creatures who need to make something out of life, not as creatures who need to gain, but as creatures who you love. Uh, You call us to fear you and keep your commands. Father, we pray that that would be our big thing. We would seek to do that and that alone. Uh, Father, please uh, help us over these next weeks uh, to understand more and more of what it means to be a human. Give us wisdom, we pray. Amen.